0: Ernie knew when he said what he said about the offering, but we're actually talking about why give, why we should give today. And it's my least favorite conversation to have. Uh, I'm sure that that you can kind of grasp the reality that for a pastor to stand up here and talk about money can be very difficult. Um, And it can seem very self-seeking, but I promise you it's not. And the reason you're going to know that is we're not going to hand out the plates again afterwards uh, to prove the point. Um, But we are going to talk about it because it's something that as we've been going through this series, and if you don't know anything about this series, if, if you're new, please check our website. We've been talking about the various things that we do in church and why we do them, and then going to scripture to show here's why. Here's why. and so. Why do we give? I think giving is all through Scripture. Uh, different place. Shayla, we're cutting in and out. Do you know what's going on there? Is it? Oh, oh. It happened last week too, didn't it? Is that better? Does that work? If I don't move at all? <laughs> Every one of you who goes here knows that's not going to happen. Um, and the ADD has struck again. Right, we're talking about why we're going to give, and we're going to look at scriptural support for that because it's part of our regular service. Every week, we pass the offering plates, uh, and, if, and if you're new, if you're not a Christian, you might be like, what is this about? Why do they want my money? And, and so we're going to clarify all those things and talk about what it's used for, why uh, we do it this way, and, and hopefully by the end of this morning, it'll make it very, very clear to you. And Ernie did mention uh, a verse in 2 Corinthians about giving joyfully, and, and we're going to conclude with that. But I'm actually going to challenge you with that verse because I think sometimes uh, when we read that verse, we we take it out of context to where we're at in that moment, rather than understanding what Paul's really trying to get at. So, uh, so we're going to do this this week, and then next week we're going to finish up. Uh, I mentioned either last week or the week before, that this might be the end. But as I was reading uh, through what I had written and what we were studying, I realized we're going to talk one more week about uh, a, kind of a scary word, governance. Nobody, uh, I, I heard like an audible sigh there for a minute. Uh, basically, what we're going to talk about is church leadership, why we have elders, what are deacons, are they s- the same thing, are they different, what are trustees, what does that mean, uh, and why we elect people within those positions for terms. Uh, we're going to show you why we follow scripture, why we think it's in there, and why we believe it holds us accountable to make sure that we are doing the very best to lead the church. So we're going to finish with that uh, next week. So that, that's it. Um, Giving. Giving is something that the the question is always this. Tithing is an Old Testament concept, isn't it? So why should we tithe now? And that's really what we're going to look at in the broad picture. But first, we're going to go back to the Old Testament, give some explanation of what tithing is, why it was instituted. And I'm going to argue why. um, I'm going to argue passively, just in case that made you uncomfortable passively, why in the New Testament, while it does change a little bit, it is no less important to be a people who give and are generous and care for one another. So, why should we give? Why do we think giving matters? Or maybe we could ask it this way, is, does giving matter? If God can do all things, isn't God just going to do all things regardless of whether you give or not? Yes, no, this becomes that very difficult challenge of if God is sovereign, God's gonna do what God's gonna do. And we believe fully that God is sovereign, but we also believe he's called us into partnership with him to be obedient to him. And he uses predominantly, he uses his church and his people as a means of accomplishing his purposes. So yes, if you you think God doesn't need my money, you're right, he doesn't need your money but he is asking for it for a reason. And so that's what we're going to look at. That's what we're going to talk about as we as the body of Christ are together uh, in this. So Old Testament, this is where it starts. Uh, Concept of tithing, uh, it was a requirement of the law in which Israel was to give 10% of the crops that they grew and the livestock that they raised and they gave it to the tabernacle or temple depending on what time period they were in. Um, But... That 10% number, maybe you're familiar with that if you've grown up in church, and that's just the assumption that, well, you're supposed to tithe 10%. Again, I'm going to argue later on that that's not accurate, but also doesn't mean it's completely invalid either. It's confusing. We'll get there. Um, But this 10% was actually a base tax, as it were. Uh, The Old Testament continues, uh, and it says that there were also... uh, tithes for the Levites, uh, for the temples, for the feasts. There were tithes for the poor on the land um, to help the poor. Uh, And anyway, it all accumulated to about 23.3% of what what you earned you were to give back to God if you were an ancient Israelite. So if you want to write these down, we have lots we're going to go through, so I'm not going to hit these passages, but these are the supporting texts for that uh, Leviticus 27 Numbers 18 Deuteronomy 14 and 2nd Chronicles 31 they all are specific passages talking about tithing the rules and the regulations but it continues all through the Pentateuch, specifically in Leviticus, explaining certain ways. What happens if you're too poor to afford the temple tax, or, or you don't have the means to do, or, or you're not able to get where you're supposed to go? And there's all these clarifications that God makes and, and regulations in all of that. The point of it in the end is this. These tithes and these offerings were a way to remind the Israelites that everything that they have came from God in the first place. And their trust was meant to be in God, not in God's gifts that he had given to his people. And I think that message is just as important today as it was back then. If you think about it in our own context, is how often do we hold what we have been given in our hands and we hold it so tightly and we refuse to be generous and give, forgetting that it's all God's to begin with anyway. And the only reason that he, uh, actually I shouldn't say the reason, I'm not sure of the reason, but the reality is that the only reason you have it is because God gave it to you in the first place because he chose to bless you. We, We can think sometimes, you know what, I've worked hard at my business and so I've earned what I have that's probably the biggest lie you could ever believe. Is how many people in the world are working exceedingly hard and not getting the blessing that that maybe you have been given. And then we try and figure out, well, why is it the case? And and I don't think the Scripture actually speaks to that outside of the fact that it's God's in the first place, and God gets to choose where he gives and where he doesn't. Where he gives and where he takes away. And the first thing that I want to mention is that we... Uh, we don't give to God because God needs our gifts, as Ernie said. So this is Psalm 24, 1 and 2. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. That's just the reality. Everything already belongs to God. So we don't give to him because he needs it. Uh, Job said it this way in Job uh, chapter 1. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gives, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whether we have lots or whether we have little. Paul says it in Philippians later on. He says, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether I have nothing or whether I have abundance. The, The hard part of that verse for us, I think, is this. For us to learn to be content with nothing means what? We have to have nothing. We have to practice that. And so sometimes we might, be have, we might have all kinds of abundance and blessing, and we can live on that kind of mountaintop experience, going, God, you're so good. Thank you for everything that you've given. But the only way you can get to a place where you can be just as thankful when you don't have all those things is because it's been a practiced habit where these things have happened and we've surrendered ourselves to God and said, God, I will trust you in the midst of this, that you have, you have given me everything that I need for today. David understood this as well. So this is Psalm chapter 50. If you want to read with me, starting in verse 7, he says this. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you, your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds of the hills, all and all that moves in the field is mine. Now notice David takes this to a second place, so, so God, he recognizes God doesn't need anything that you have, because it all belongs to him in the first place. But he's also dealing with a motivation of why we give. So here he says, right, it's not for your sacrifices that I rebuke you. You're always sacrificing. But your heart isn't right. In fact, in the very next psalm, and this is a very famous psalm, chapter 51, David wrote this after the prophet Nathan confronted him about his affair with Bathsheba. And here, in this, he, uh, he writes this. this is, uh, we'll start at verse 16. He says, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David understood that he couldn't just live in the secret sin, though he was trying to until Nathan confronted him and then go, well, I'm just going to continue to offer all my gifts and my tithes and my offerings, and it's good because somehow that, that pays for that, that bad thing that I've done. David understood that that wasn't the point of the tithes and the sacrifices. He acknowledges that it was his own heart, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. David understood that he needed to be broken down, that he needed to have his motivation changed so that then he could offer his gifts. And notice verses 18 and 19. He says, do good to Zion and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David isn't going, well, God, you don't want my gifts and my offerings anyway because my heart's just messy, so, so I won't do that. He understands that there's a process is I need to confess before you that my heart isn't right, and when my heart is right, then I will offer things to you, because at the end of the day, God is still worthy of that offering and that sacrifice. But God doesn't want us to do it in the sense where we go, man, if if I give, let's put it in our context, if I give enough money to the church, then God will look favorably upon me, He'll, he'll forgive me. That goes against everything scripture teaches. The only reason we find forgiveness, and we just learned it in that kid's video, is the blood of Jesus. The fact that he sacrificed himself on the cross, gave his life in our place so that we might be able to find freedom and forgiveness and fellowship with him. And so David understands that, and so we don't give because God needs it, we don't give because um or we don't give with bad motivation, and we don't give to somehow think that it forgives our sin. And so I want to flip ahead. You can open to Hebrews 10. And I think this is just really, really important to grasp this because we are going to talk about why it's important to give to church. But the number one concern that I have, and and this comes predominantly from living in North America, is that somehow we portray that if you give enough, you're good. That's not the point. I don't want you to think that. I don't want you to go away from here thinking, man, I, I give you know, 20% of my salary, and so clearly God has to then look on me with favor, and somehow he owes me something now, or he has to forgive me because of how generous I've been. Is that perverts and twists the gospel. And so Hebrews 10 says this, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, It can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And If we take it to our time the same thing is it is impossible for you to give enough of your money to somehow bribe God to forgive your sin. Your sins have been forgiven on the cross of Jesus because of his sacrifice for us. And so I just is so important to me that you realize that we all grasp and that we don't portray that the reason we give is so that somehow God looks at us with some kind of favor. I think this teaching there's varying levels of, of danger to it, and, and of course, the extreme version is where you'll only be, you'll only be saved if you give X number of, of dollars. And I've actually seen churches that, that do that, where your T4 is required, if you're not from Canada, your T4 is your statement of earnings, and you get that, and then the church goes, man, you have to give 10%, or if you don't give 10%, then, then like, God doesn't love you. And that's so wrong and so dangerous. But I think there's been an acceptable answer where we've said, you know what, there's, there's verses that do talk about that God loves a cheerful giver and that, that God will bless us for our, uh, having a generous spirit. And those principles are true. But if we start to think that that means if I give lots, that somehow God is indebted to me, then we've misunderstood again the very first principle. God doesn't need any of it anyway because it all belongs to him in the first place. Right? You as parents, you understand this very well when you have little kids right? They want to buy something. What does that mean? That means that you buy it, right? Everything that they want is already yours to begin with. The the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son is another example of that is the the elderly son. Everything is that is left after his younger brother goes off and squanders, everything is his now. So he's waiting for his dad to die, knowing that everything will be his, because that's how that worked back in that culture and we have wills where we pass these things on, well, God doesn't operate that way. It's, it's different. God doesn't go, wow, because you were generous, I'm, I, I'm indebted to you and I have to give back to you. So we don't give to think that somehow we could be indebted or that God could be indebted to us. So this leads us then to to the early church. And this is where we're going to look at tithes and offerings in a a different way and consider how does this affect us. So you can turn to Acts chapter 4. So remember, Jesus has died on the cross for our sins, so the sacrificial system comes to an end. right? And that's what we just read in, in Hebrews 10, is there was this sacrificial system, this constant reminder of our sins and God's plan to deal with that sin once and for all. But then Jesus dies on the cross, and that is fulfilled, and no longer is sacrifice required. And so sometimes people then argue, well, that means the tithes aren't required anymore either. And it depends what you mean by required. Do you mean required for salvation? Then no. But if we mean required because God has commanded us to do it, then yes. And so we have to find that delicate balance. And so when the early church begins, uh, we're going to read here in verse 32 of chapter 4, just the end of the chapter, a few verses here as this example. So it says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that anything that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Don't hear that some kind of a communist statement. That's not what's happening. Right? Notice what it says. They all had their own stuff. They just what? They just shared. They didn't consider it their own. They recognized everything that I have is first a gift from God, and it's meant to be used for the goodness of all. So they did have possessions, and and we're going to see that in just a moment. Again, um, verse 33, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This was the practice of the new church, the early church is that somebody in our community has a need, and if I can meet that need, then I will go out and I will do that. One of the greatest blessings of being a pastor, and this happened just recently, is that I get to be a part of this in a very unique way. Is somebody in our church came up to me and said, you know what, I was talking to this this one family, and it turned out that there was a need there, and so I've met that need. Can you give it to them on behalf of the church? Because they didn't want any credit for it. They just saw a need and wanted to meet it. And so I got to then go to that family and say exactly that. I I, I can take no credit for that because it wasn't me. But that kind of stuff happens all the time in the community of God where we recognize, man, there's needs. And we should meet those needs. Let's not just create programs all the time to meet needs. Let's look at it. How can I individually, as a follower of Jesus, how am I called to meet the needs of others? Well, Barnabas here looks at it this way. I'm gonna sell this field and I'm gonna lay down all of it at the apostles' feet so that the apostles can distribute it how they see the needs to be. There was a trust. There was a trust in the leadership of that. This is why we're gonna talk about leadership next week. This is why we're gonna talk about accountability and some of those things because already you can probably see that According to man, there's a lot of issues that could happen along that road. But what we see in this text is that that God is calling that we understand everything is his in the first place. And he's called us to steward those things well, not for our own benefit and enjoyment, but for the health of the body. That doesn't mean you can't go out and buy nice things. That doesn't mean that you can't go and take your family out for supper. I'm not suggesting any of those things but I am saying we should consider what am I doing with my money and is it, it is, a, is it a good use of that and am I being generous the way that God has called me to do so? In other words, is this. If you see someone in need and you recognize you have the ability to help with that but you choose not to because you'd rather use it for yourself, then God's calling you to examine your heart. The book of James talks very specifically about that. And so these tithes and these offerings, they're given to the leadership, specifically the apostles here, that they would steward it for the good of their community. And so when we ask this question, then so, so we now in our own context is why do we pass the plate and why do we give some tithes and offerings? Because we believe in the mission of the church. We believe that what we are doing in the community and and in the lives of one another is valuable. And so we're saying that everything that I have already belongs to God. And I'm going to honor God by giving some back to him so that he can use it not for me, but for others. It goes back to the very first principle, so that I understand that I'm not trusting in the gift. I'm trusting in the giver of those gifts. It's so easy, I think, for us in our culture to trust in our strength rather than God. For the most part, we have everything we could possibly want. And if we think, oh, there's something else that I want, for the most part, again, generally speaking, we can probably go to the bank and figure out how to get loaned that money so that we can have that we want. And we can live in that selfishness, and actually we can justify it, and especially in Banff, because Banff is one of the most expensive places to live, and so you can look around and go, I don't have that house over there. I got a real small one. So it's good. So I can spend lots on me because I'm not like them. It can be very easy to compare and contrast those things when what God's really calling of us is, are you using the the gifts that I have given you yourself or for the community? And so we give on Sunday mornings because we believe in the various ministries that we run and the various uh, organizations that we have, the various opportunities that we have to serve and to love and to care for one another. Now, this is where it gets awkward. For me, we also give because we're trying to pay the staff. In some churches, that might be one staff or half a staff, or it might be multiple staff. We we pay uh, their salaries because we believe that what they're doing is good to equip the church for the cause of ministry. There are many church traditions that, that they don't pay their pastors and they actually don't have pastors, but they have uh, just individuals from the church come forward and share and, and every now and then someone comes up and preaches. And, and that could be a good use of stewardship. Uh, I'm not gonna argue against that philosophically except to say this in 1 Timothy 5.17 and 1 Corinthians 9.14, Paul says it that it's ordained by God that ministers should make their living from the gospel. Actually, it says commanded, in the esv so i think that if there's an opportunity for someone to not need to take salary because of whatever the conditions are then great but that the church is called to help equip their staff so that they can benefit from the the full-time ministry of that staff so here's where i want to deeply deeply thank our our uh, our leadership team here at the church is as, as you probably know, most of you, is that I'm in an ongoing seminary program that will take me approximately 32 years to finish. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like, hopefully only four or five more. But it's taken a long time. But the church, the leadership went and said, we want to pay for you in this. And it's, it's not like it's a super expensive program. But they went, we want to pay for you in this because we believe that this will directly benefit and encourage the body of Christ in our local church. What a blessing that is because probably I wouldn't have an opportunity to learn the Bible at, a, at that depth because I probably wouldn't be able to afford it. And the church has said, no, we think this, this goes out beyond just the individual. And so part of what you do give on Sunday morning goes to pay uh, my salary, and I'm deeply humbled by that and deeply grateful for that. But I think it's also really important to remind you that if all of a sudden you know, we are in the black one month, it's not as though I get that. Let me just be real clear about that. That's not how it works. We don't take up an offering and go, oh, Greg can help himself. They're not at all. I'm not even allowed to touch that money. We have policies in place. Again, this will be next week to prevent those things from happening. But so we give to the church because there's staffing needs. We give to the church because there's ministry that we're trying to be involved with in the Bow Valley. And then there's just some simple realities like this The light's got to be on. Right, we have to have, well, we've learned this in COVID, we have to have high-speed internet. And it always lets us down. There's just the reality of day-to-day things as well. But this is another thing I want to I toot the horn of, of our leadership again. When the Filipino church approached us and said, we would love to rent your facility Sunday evenings, is we had a big conversation about what that would look like, and, and at the end of the day is this, is we actually don't make any money from that the leadership went, we desperately want to bless and care for other people. And they don't have a place to worship the Lord, and we have a building. And so there's a very small portion that we charge, basically so that our electricity gets paid. Probably doesn't even cover that. Because the board went, no, we're involved in what the kingdom is involved with. We're not here to make money. I remember when Phil joined our treasurer staff. Phil runs uh, a business, and he's very, very entrepreneurial. And I remember I was sitting in my office. He was doing some books on the other side, and he just yelled out in disgust maybe too strong a word. But he said, I don't understand this not trying to make money thing. And it was just this hilarious thing. We're not in it to make money. We have no desire for that. We want to invest in the the community. We want to help. We want to serve, and that's where your money goes. So that's why we give. But I want to give us a caution, too, because the very next chapter in the Bible, this is one of of the more difficult things that we read in the New Testament. So first, Barnabas has gone. He's sold a field. He's laid the money at the apostles' feet and said, use it uh, to your discretion for the community. And, And whatever there are, the needs are. And in chapter 5, you read a story, we're not going to read it for the sake of time here, but about Ananias and Sapphira. And they come together and they're like, man, we got a plan. We're going to sell a field and we're going to keep part of that money to ourselves, but we're not going to tell anybody that. We're going to go and we're going to lay that money at the apostles' feet and we're going to claim that everything that we got from that field, we gave. So what's the motivation? They saw what Barnabas did and and, and they went, man, we want to be known as that. So if you give so that you somehow receive recognition from the community, then that's not about giving to God. That's about your own ego. And so what happens in the text, and it sounds awful, is is the spouses are separated for a moment there, and and one of them comes to to Peter and lays the money at the feet and says, "This this is all the money that we've had from the field. And through the Holy Spirit, Peter knows that they're lying, and he calls them out on it. And they're both struck dead in that moment. And I remember sitting in my seminary class going through the book of Acts and we were struggling with, this seems exceedingly harsh. Why why would this happen? And, And really the conclusion we came to is this, is this is the beginning of the church and financial integrity is essential for trust in the community. And immediately that integrity was being threatened. They weren't giving for the sake of giving to God, they were giving for the sake of themselves. And so they both Get struck down dead. So there's a warning to us, those of us that give. We give not to be seen by others. Right? If the offering plate's being passed by and, and you're like, it's coming to you, and you're like, <clears throat> and you write your big check and you close it, and you're like, <laughs> there you go. I'm not suggesting anyone would ever do that here. But if we had that internally, if that was our motivation. Man, look at this. Or, or I'm going to give cash and not an envelope so other people can see it. Then, then keep your money. Because this is meant to be for God, not for you. We believe, again, that God owns it all anyway, and so that, that God will provide our needs according to whatever he says. Now there are other things as well that our money does go to. One of these things, uh, 1 Corinthians 16 uh, is one example where Paul was concerned about the the well-being of some other churches. And so in Corinth, he said, we need to take up an offering and we need to take that money and give it to those people in Jerusalem who are in the midst of a severe famine and have nothing. And so sometimes we do things like that. Maybe, maybe it's not because there's a famine, but maybe it's because we've called a parachurch organization in like Teen Challenge a few weeks back. We've said they're doing good work to help people get rid of addiction and find Jesus. And so we want to support them and so we call them in and we might take up an offering so that that money can go to that organization because we believe in what they're doing as well. Sometimes we give to our missionaries. We had missionaries here last week. We're actually going to hear from two more of our missionaries in the coming months, in in the next two months. And they're going to come, and they're going to share about what they're doing. Well, well, part of what comes into our uh, income, we then steward out to missionaries because we believe that we're called not to just be missional here in the valley, but worldwide as well. And so that's how money gets used. There's one really, really interesting point that I want to make here. Anybody know what Promise Keepers is? So it's a a men's ministry that travels all over kind of Canada and they put on these conferences and you go and and you as a man, whether you're a single man or a father or a husband or whatever it might be, is is the goal is to get your heart right before God. And it's a wonderful conference, um, but I remember sitting at, at one time and then an offering came out for it to help meet the needs of the costs of the conference. Great, no problem. But the person who was praying before he was praying for the offering said this, and I thought this was great. He said, we are a parachurch organization. What that means is a a group that partners with the local church, but they themselves are not a local church. And he said, we would love for you to partner with us in this, but not at the expense of your local church. So if you're going to give to us what you would give to the local church, then keep it and give it to the local church. We don't want it. And I thought, man, there's somebody that gets it. There's, there's an organization that's read through Scripture, seeing the value of church being the hub for everything. That's why, as Ernie said, this is why we come here. We gather together, we encourage each other, we study Scripture, we learn more about Jesus and what it means to live a life that honors Him, and, and in this context is giving. And so give to parachurch organizations, absolutely. Shayla and I do as well, and, and everyone should. There's great organizations all over the world, but not at the expense of what's happening in your own community. I think there's a both end principle there, not an either-or. So, these are the ways in which funds are used. These are the examples in Scripture that we see that, uh, that tithes are still given and they're, they have great amounts of, of purpose and meaning. But there's a question that I think we have to ask from a New Testament context, from an old. The old had percentages. The old had, this is what you should give exactly. And the New Testament, what percentage are you told to give? Trick question. What is it? Told. It's never never talked about. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, yes. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Now again, we're going to clarify. That's not just money we're talking about. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When Paul's talking about this this fun to go off to people who are suffering uh, a a famine in that context. In that case, he's saying we need to give. We need to be generous. But if you're going to do it out of compulsion, then don't. Because God doesn't need it then. But if, if when you read a verse like that, you hear, oh, good, I'm not very good at giving, and I always have a bad attitude about it, so now I'm justified I no longer have to give. Thank you, New Testament. We can move on. That's not at all what it's saying. It's saying if you can't give up what God has given you generously to others, there's a problem in your heart that you've got to deal with first. Again, I'm not here pleading for your money. I hate even having to have this conversation. But I think I need to because it's in Scripture. We want to be known as people that are generous. We want to be known as people who care not only about ourselves, but about others, regardless of what walk of life they're in or what their situation is. We want to see needs, and we want to go out and meet those needs individually and as a church family as a whole. And so when it says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, let me say this, is when you invest in the lives of other people, you will get an immense reward. It might have zero to do with money, but it may have to do with spiritual growth. It may have to do with watching people come into the kingdom of God because of one little faithful act that, that you did and that brought them to church and they heard the gospel. Money is this very tangible thing for us to put in our bank account, to have numbers, to know when we can retire, to know how we can send our kids to school, all those things. But all of it should be under this, is does my family know and love Jesus? And do they want to serve him? That's way more important than any other possible amount of money could give. So let's sow generously and watch God work in the lives and in the hearts of other people. If you find yourself thinking, man, I'm not a generous person, maybe the best challenge I can do is ask you to read scripture and see what God has done for you. If we understand, even, even a remote little bit of the depth of God's love for us and how he gave everything for us. I think we'll hold everything we have with a little more open hands, saying, God, however you need it, whatever you need, I want to be involved in that. It's scary because sometimes that means you might not have enough money to do the things that you think you want or need to do. Here's a, this is an example, not for money at all, but this week, um, I was sharing with the board at board meeting on Wednesday, um, I just, I have a seminary paper due coming up, and, and I've really struggled with kind of time management of, of organizing everything that I need to do and get these things done, and so I was like, hey, it's okay, this week I got lots of just time to just sit down and finish those things, so it, it'll be no problem, and then what does God do? God goes, Greg. That's not important. Let me let me let me show you some other things that are important. And through the wisdom of my wife, she she said to me, she said, um, there was an opportunity to do some ministry in front of me, and she said, Greg, I, I think I think this would be really good for you to do. And I know you don't have a lot of time this week, but she said, I'm certain that God will bless your reward or reward you in a certain way if you're honor, honorable and faithful to what He's called you to do, because that's what my ministry is not. Not school. And so I went and, and I did those things and I tried to have that perspective in mind. And then all of a sudden, um, other things happened and and I was able to finish that first draft before I even thought I would without those things. And so it's just that moment. And uh, Shayla said it this way while she was editing my paper. She said, "I could tell you were on a roll because it didn't make any sense. I was missing all kinds of words." She knew what I was talking about, but it was just like right, like. So was it inspired of God? No. So don't take that paper to be scripture. Not at all. But it's just this moment when we're faithful to what God has called us to do despite the fact that it messes up our schedule and our plans. We will be rewarded for that. Maybe not in the way that we expect. Might not always work out the way that it did for me this week. But it will work out in the sense of God is going to be in control. He is in control and we're submitting ourselves to that and we get to see what he is going to do. So as we close this morning, again, no, God doesn't need your money. But he is asking you to trust him, the giver, not the gifts that he's given you. Don't put your hope and your trust in how big your bank account is and how secure your retirement plan is. All of those things can fade real fast. I think sometimes we lose that perspective. And as, as Ernie mentioned, sometimes watching the global news can be very depressing. I think it also can give us a sense of perspective sometimes. And we need to be reminded that we can lose everything so quickly and so easily. And so if our trust and our hope is in the giver, not the gift, then even when what has been given is taken away like Job, we can remember, you know what? God's in control just as he was 10 minutes ago or an hour ago or a year ago. And if he needs me to have something, maybe he'll figure out a way to get that back to me. Or maybe I need to learn to live without it. Again, that goes back to what Paul said about contentment. I'm only going to learn how to be content with nothing if I actually have nothing sometimes. At the end of the day, here's what we're calling you to do. We're not taking a second offering. I was joking with Dusty and, and Doug It's not as though we're going to stand there and hold it in front of you and be like, a little bit more, please, next week. None of that's going to happen because this is between you and God. This is between you and your spiritual relationship and your maturity growing and reading and saying, God, what do you want me to give? And I know that some of you are faithful beyond compare with what you give. And we're so grateful for that. And I know that some of you have virtually nothing to give. That's okay, too. Scripture speaks of the one woman who gave in almost nothing, and God said in his his mind, or sorry, pardon me, in her mind, she had given all that she had to live on. She trusted him with everything. So whether you have lots to give, whether you have little to give, you are valued the same here at this church. And frankly, here's good news for you. I have no idea who gives what, and I never want to know the answer to those things because I'm called to love and to minister and to teach the Scriptures. And that's what I'm going to do. And when I read these passages, it's important that I share these with you. Not so that somehow my bank account gets padded. That's not it at all. But so that our church goes, man, what kind of amazing things can we get involved with in the Bow Valley? How can we minister to the needs of those in our community that are hurting? How can we partner with mission organizations and parachurch organizations that are doing good ministry? Money is a part of that. And I'd encourage you to go home and consider and, you know, regardless where you're at, to consider God, asking God, what would you have us give? Are, are, are we, should we give more? Should we maybe give less? Should, should where we give change? Should all have all those conversations with, you know, you and your spouse, with your family? But have it in the context of what we read here. Remind ourselves that the reason that we give is because we believe in the mission of the church. we get too redundant. Let's pray. God, thank you for all that you have given us. And we've talked lots about money this morning, but we've talked lots in the past few weeks about our time and the other resources that you've given us, the, the spiritual gifts you've given us, the unique talents. All of those exist so that we might bless you, or that we might bless others, that we might give honor to your name by what we're doing and how we're doing it. And the same is true of our finances this morning, God. So I pray that we would simply try to be people who are faithful and obedient to the principles and scripture that you have laid before us. God, I pray that this church would be so faithful in giving to your work. And as we're going to talk about more next week, that the leaders that you have put into place at this season, at this moment, that they would be excellent stewards of using that money for your kingdom, for your glory, and for your honor. God, help us to trust in you, not in the gifts that you've given us. Help us to hold everything that we have with open hands, knowing that it all belongs to you anyway. So God, as we Go from this place as we head back to kind of whatever the next thing is on our agenda, the next task, the next appointment that you've placed in front of us. May we consider these things, and may we consider that the way in which we use our money, according to Scripture, where we lay our treasure up shows where our heart is. So would we lay up our treasures in heaven? God, go with us today. Thank you for all that you're doing for who you are, for your love for us. We love you. Amen. Just a reminder again, there's some snacks that Janette's worked hard on this morning for us, and so uh, if you would love to stay and have coffee and visit, we'd love to have you join us. And, And if you have any questions, as Ernie said, feel free to find anybody. Tap them on the shoulder and ask if they're a local. Have a good day.